I'm Aysan, and this is The Friday Show. Been another busy seven days at the unhappiest happy club in the world. Joining me to look back and to preview Leicester, I've got two lads who put the dit in Pondit, Lloyd and Howard. Afternoon, Howard. Afternoon. Are you feeling unhappy? <sighs> Devastated. Yes. Yes, I understand. I wholly understand. <laughs> Just it's, wish. Uh, Just wish. Decided to support Manchester United when I was a five-year-old. <laughs> I know, I know. It's a it's a heavy burden to carry all of this uh, yeah. all of this Manchester City <laughs> angst and unhappiness. Lloyd, are you feeling suitably angsty? Good intro. Um, yeah, always, always, just so unhappy with uh, with how things have gone the last twelve years. You know, I really, I really do resent it. <laughs> You could have had the joy of watching players run around in the circle before kicking the ball out for a goal kick. <laughs> that, yeah. For anybody who wonders what we're talking about, there's a clip of Anthony from Man United doing something that I'm not even going to try and describe it. Just go and watch it and laugh at him. <laughs> ridiculous. Um, but look, <clears throat> jokes aside, I actually want to start with um, the subject of being unhappy. Uh Lloyd, I'm going to start with you because me and Howard have had a couple of chats about this, but I haven't really spoken to you about it. Uh, in light of the articles by Jamie Car- Carragher in The Telegraph and Jonathan Liu in The Guardian uh, about Jonathan Liu's article was about how boring it is to watch Erling Haaland. Um, I've seen the word gaslit used a lot this week uh, from City supporters who feel that they're being gaslit by uh, by sections of the media do you think there's some merit in that um do you think we kind of as a supporter base subconsciously we crave the acknowledgement of our achievements i think there's a small part of every football supporter that wants acknowledgement from outside of their club now i think that differs from person to person and club to club and i think particularly over the years is something that I've just cared less and less about because I think I've just come to terms with the fact that as long as I'm happy, I don't really care whether someone else who supports Arsenal thinks De Bruyne is a good footballer. Um, Or, you know, a lot of those tedious debates that people have about how good City's team is, where it ranks, who's going to make it into Prem best 11s, all that kind of nonsense. I think increasingly, particularly as a, from a City fan, I think a lot of people have really tuned off to that. What I'd say on the gaslighting, though, is isn't all kind of football media and football Twitter, isn't it all just gaslighting? Isn't everyone just gaslighting each other at all times? That's what it kind of feels like. Well, I, mean, um, I, think, I think supporters tend to devolve into tribalism and, and try and gaslight each other. But I wouldn't. Mm posit that that's not really the job of a media that also complains that uh match days are too toxic and that chants are too offensive and the kind of general uh i guess moralizing and 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 taking of the high moral ground it to me it seems a little contradictory to the, the their actions in terms of writing from my point of view, articles that feel like they're specific, very specifically trying to get a rise out of City supporters. 
Yeah, and I think I think that's a fair distinction to make between fans and media. Media are there to cover the game, and you know that includes things that go on around the game rather than just what's on the pitch. But I think that's another bone of contention with a lot of City fans that quite often there's not actually enough written about the football and what happens on the pitch and you know Pep's team and tactics and stuff like that. So, no, I see where you're coming from. Um, I mean, personally, I feel like maybe I'm not the best person to talk about this because I have become increasingly desensitised to a lot of these pieces and um, and I've just been trying to kind of tune out a little bit, partly because I've been a bit KO'd myself the last few weeks, but I think generally over the last couple of seasons, I, I really try not to read <laughs> these articles because... I just feel like I get nothing from them apart from I know it'll just irk me. So, um, for example, I haven't read Jonathan Lee's piece. I just saw the headline, saw some of the tweets and went, I'm not wasting two minutes of my day on that. So, um, I read it so you didn't have to read it. Um, Well, I just know that Steph... bad as the headline looks. I know that like you or Stefan or like someone... Someone who's a massive sadist will just read it. So, um, yeah, listen to whole podcasts on one on double speed as well. Exactly, but yeah, no, I, I know exactly what you mean, and yes, I do think that it's 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 definitely growing. I've noticed just from being on Twitter amongst City fans that people are really starting to feel like so you've run out of all angles now, lads. That we're we're now just. Chop, we're basically chopping us down at the knees, um, and I think that I, I also think the fact that we're already talking about Haaland being boring less than three months into his Premier League career. I mean, come on, there's got to be more to write about than that. That is ridiculous. Howard, um, slightly different angle for you. I, I find this to be a a decidedly British disease. And what I mean by that is that. If you look at Spain or you look at Italy, even Germany and France, uh, they one, they take great pride in their f- football collectively in their top leagues and their and their top teams. And secondly, they they are very defensive of what they have in comparison to other leagues. So when Barcelona and Real Madrid dominated european football which we all remember and they signed the best players in the world and put them on insane contracts their media um kind of saw that as a virtue they kind of they held those clubs up as the kind of preeminent football clubs on the planet and rightly so and lauded them and in england i get the sense that we we almost have tall poppy syndrome that like if somebody gets a bit too good we immediately swing an axe at their head um is it unfair for me to kind of generalize it in that way or is there some merit to that you're probably asking the wrong person again because i don't i'm not an expert on the european media but there is a british way of building someone up to knock them down is obviously one of our favorite pastimes and always has been, I think. Um, you get very, very tribalistic Spanish media. You get pro-Barca, anti-Madrid, don't you? And pro-Madrid, anti-Barcelona papers over there. 
I don't, I'm not an expert on how the fans interact. Uh, I don't know if it's pretty unique to, yeah, to the British League that we all act this way. The bottom line is, you just, immediately thinking I'm being paranoid when you say stuff like this. But we all know it. I mean, we've said it, I think we said it in the last week, so. If he had signed, if Erling Haaland had signed for someone else, the coverage wouldn't be the same. It's not being paranoid, it's just the fact that it would be celebrated mm. that the Premier League had bought in a ready-made world superstar because even though it is the biggest, most popular league in the world that gets the most revenue, is most watched and has had some of the greatest players ever, it tends to create superstars, not buy them in ready-made. Much of that due to the or the big two in Spain who you know buy Galacticos and the like. But then, isn't that a thing to celebrate? If yes. We if we actually unless one team buys that ready-made superstar. Mm. Now it's just it's just an, a knee-jerk circle in a way. There's been tons of positive. There's been the tons house. of positive coverage about Haaland. Jonathan Lou wrote a positive article about Ireland three weeks ago or four weeks ago. Mm. But it's just it's just the inevitable arc, is it not? It's like yeah. it starts from had a bad community shield game to he's boring and everything in between, scoring lots of goals, but he doesn't touch the ball much, to he's ruining competition, it's not fair, etc. <sighs> Ultimately, all these things are actually going on at the same time and it depends where you're getting your media coverage from. To say there's still all the time uh, positive stuff being said about Erling Haaland. But of course, as soon as City have a player like this, then those that don't want City to do well will of course start mentioning the other stuff from ownership to wealth to net spends to anything else as a diversion to make themselves feel better that City's success isn't is not real in a way. It's artificial and created and not organic and earned. So, like, like I mean, three four years ago, yeah, I'd get I'd get really annoyed about all this stuff. But <sighs> what does it matter? That who's who was that Jonathan Liu article for? That's the problem. It wasn't for City fans. City match reports used to be there for City fans, like Liverpool match reports were there for Liverpool fans, because we didn't. A lot of people didn't see the matches; they weren't available. Often, if you weren't at the match and or you didn't see brief highlights, you wouldn't know about the match. But now we all of us see everything, and we see all the journalists' output as well because of the decline of print media. So every journalist has to have. I actually feel. Not perhaps not for Jonathan Liu, but you know, for journalists, football journalists in general, some sympathy because every single one of them has to have a, a unique angle story or something else if they're going to talk about Erling Haaland because we can see the output of everyone online for free. So ultimately, most of it's just filler now, and I don't think it is worth getting worked up over because I don't think maybe there's a a split between old and young fans. Young fans are more invested on social media and picking up clubs. The older fans don't give a damn. But I don't need acknowledgement about how good City are because I see every minute of the matches and know how good they are and know when they're mm. not. 
So what does it matter if a singular journalist bigs up my football team? It means no more than, I don't know, uh, a plumber in Aldershot saying the same thing. You know, well, it's just one person's opinion. So, yeah, I kind of, I, I go along with that. I think the one thing I would say, and and this is where, for me, actually, I am uh, a little bit arsed. Um, it's that that idea of the idea that we as supporters crave the acknowledgement of rivals or of the footballing establishment um, is nonsense. It really is. I don't think that, uh, like, the media coverage of City since Guardiola came in is pretty self-evident, right? If we were it, being told that you're unhappy about something that you're not unhappy about is gaslighting. It's that simple. Yeah. I don't think that, and it goes back, and this goes all the way back. Telling you how you feel. Yeah. Exactly. Like this idea that Jonathan Wilson knows how I feel about City and City's success is nonsense, right? This idea that City fans are universally unhappy or kind of agitated because we don't get the acknowledgement of other football clubs. That's not really true. Like, ignore us. That's fine. Yeah. I've got no problem with that. I'm not here to say the papers should write more good things about City. I'm asked. Like, that's not the point. The point is, don't tell lies. Don't tell me how I feel. Don't generalize about an entire supporter base. Don't complain on the one hand that away supporters are too toxic and, you know, should have a bit more respect. And then on the other hand, go out of your way to wind them up. All of that stuff is is uh, it's very strange, very odd behavior. And I can only... I can only assume that it comes from a deep level of insecurity because that would be the only reason to to take a point of view like that. Whether you support Liverpool or you support United, which most of these guys who do the writing, they do. Just focus on your own clubs. Do the fanzine stuff and the cheerleading stuff. It's fine. We ignore it. You get on, get your clicks from your supporter base. Using City supporters and framing them in a negative light to get clicks from rival supporters. It's just beyond the pale for me. So, you know, that's uh, that's pr probably where I've got a problem with it. I think what we, yeah. I mean, if I go online, tweet to David Maddock, he's an arse and sod off and he's biased and then get on with the rest of my day, that doesn't mean I'm unhappy, does it? You know, you can't just, you can't treat social media as a, a realistic uh, viewpoint of what what people feel and what, especially what a fan base feels. I, I mean, that's, that's I such an we, absurd. Yeah, sorry, go on. No, I'm just going to say I think we disagree on what does wind me up, and I'm probably wrong on this as well. I shouldn't care. What gets to me is the lies that are ingrained. The lies, not yeah, not how good a player is or blah, Erling Haaland or talking about football or whether how much he spent. The lies about empty seats or. The cast thing or financial doping or being state owned is so ingrained in rival fans. But I shouldn't care about that either because the rival fans want to think that. So, because again, if United were winning everything and had like Middle Eastern owner or billionaire owners, well, they do anyway, I'd probably go out of my way to 
in my mind subconscious to say, yeah, but they didn't really earn it, it's not fair, blah, 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 because that's how rival fans deal with someone else being more successful. I shouldn't care about it, but it's the the general lies stuff like that, the you know, that is repeatedly put into articles is what gets to me a bit more, though it shouldn't. No, I mean, it, for, for me, it, it it's... I, I, I've not cared about what the media think for a minute now. I think, I think most of the people that listen to me know that. I just think that what I saw um, post-Liverpool, what I saw in the Carragher article, what, what I kind of felt in Jonathan Liu's article as well, is that, you know, there is a, for me, there is a sense that, like, there's a lot of issues around football, around football club ownership. There's plenty of stuff that you can talk about in a serious fashion, right? But both of those articles in different ways, they went out of their way um, to be just caustic, just unnecessarily nonsense, unnecessary nonsense. And yeah, just noise that, that it's very difficult in a way to ignore it because it's there and it's a, it's framed as being about city and potentially for city. Um, but the only, the only thing I can say is that it just reinforces my idea that there's very little worth reading from a city point of view in the media. Um, but it's the negative stuff that gets the most, I mean, um, most attention. The argument that City fans don't need that acknowledgement will probably be proven by the fact that if Jonathan Lee just wrote a purely positive, or anyone, then that's for him, don't need to keep naming him, a purely positive article about Erling Haaland, it probably wouldn't get many retweets on Twitter. It wouldn't be like no. going around the service going, God, this is brilliant. People wouldn't retweet it and yet say something negative and suddenly everyone's talking about it. So we're kind of all, we've all in a way created this ourselves because we don't go our way to push the positive stuff. Yeah, it's the part of this is just the 24-hour news, constant rolling vacuum, isn't it? The, mm. the narratives from, and, fo- and football I think accelerates it because you have, you know, as a, as a, team like City you have three games a week you know the narrative can change from a Wednesday to a Saturday and then back to a Wednesday again and like you said Howard it can be Harlan hasn't touched the ball but he scores to uh, there's a petition with 300,000 signatories saying Harlan should um, Harlan should be eliminated from the Premier League uh, to like where we're even at now so yeah it's uh, it's frustrating, but it's it, unfortunately it's partially representative of the kind of uh, the world that we live in. Definitely, and it's also you know, which is kind of the irony in all of it. It's representative of our success. You know, I, I, I've said this. I've, I found myself saying this a few times in the last week to a few different people. When we were really bad under Mancini and under Pellegrini, nobody had an issue with the ownership. The 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 ownership issue. The issues around a lot of this stuff, they've appeared as we've become um, more consistently successful. So, you know, I guess success really is a double-edged sword. Um, right. That's that's enough. That's enough about the media. <laughs> it's enough about the media. Until well, Monday. Yeah, until Monday. Exactly. Until, until the next <laughs> thing that... Uh, 
Until Haaland's out with an injury and it's praise the Lord the Premier League is back to its competitive self and all Well, there's only three games ball. left. Yeah, there's only three games left until the World Cup. So. Yeah. Can I just say, you know, the Football 365 Media Watch about ridiculous things said in the media mm. every day. And, you know, it's, it's obviously not about cities and tell ridiculous stuff's written. I am, I am going to do this and do a blog that pushes positive and interesting stuff about City once a week as well as the negative stuff, I think, in the future. That's a great so, idea. Yeah, just put out a blog that says, yeah, this is interesting, this looks at this, blah, blah, blah. This is a nice little interesting... It doesn't have to be positive, it just has to be interesting and sensible writing, because there's tons, I don't of think it, we, tons of it out there. Absolutely. I don't I don't think that, you know... And none of us want cheerleaders. We yeah. we really... We're not, we're not here. We're not a cheerleading podcast, and so I think we're reflective of the type of media that we want. Um, okay, Lloyd, you've... You've not done a review in a while, so you've not had the opportunity to talk about this very, very boring, machine-like football team that we support. So mm. look, I want you to look back at Brighton and Dortmund as a whole. Obviously, Dortmund finished 0-0. Brighton game finished 3-1, City. Um, thoughts on the overall performance levels in those two games? Yeah, interesting to take those two kind of... Uh as a two so I thought I thought against Brighton we did enough to win the game but I didn't think we were we were great um, I thought in patches we played well and I thought they really put us under the pump probably more than pretty much any team this season I think um, and that goal that De Bruyne scored it felt like it came at a very good time I thought the game was quite tight at that point and you know, Trossard had, had gone through a couple of times. Edison made that really good save of his legs. And, you know, at that point it did feel a little dicey, but the third goal kind of ended it and we kind of saw it out from there. Um, but yeah, didn't think didn't think we looked great. Looked like a team that had played a lot of games recently with a small squad. And then to take that to, to Dortmund, um, I mean, I think it was quite clear what the aim was. Um, I think we wanted to to play a very controlled game, kind of keep the football, retain possession. First half, I, I thought we were quite poor. Um, I thought Dortmund gave it a little bit more of a crack and and kind of caused us a few issues. That lad at right back, I can't remember his name, but he was a lot of good little positions. Um, and I, I must say, I completely agree with what you said about the first half. I found myself, I was listening in bed, like, yeah, about Alvarez and how that kind of system just really didn't work. Mm. He was very much a kind of a little lost puppy um, in that game and it meant that we couldn't really kind of control the game. And then Bernardo comes on, we move everything around. I think everything's very different. And Dortmund were, I thought, pretty uh, pretty meagre second half. Um, I know that they obviously want to secure, secure qualification and they probably look at City and go, Christ... But they were at home. We missed a pen. I think that was a good chance for them. They only need to score one goal. I was quite surprised. So, yeah, it's been a bit of a... You know, it's not... I don't think it's been plain sailing. Um, we've definitely conceded, like, looking at the Premier League specifically, probably more goals than I would have liked to at this stage. I think we've been a little leaky. Some of that has been down to Edison, I would say. Some of that's been down to just some poor defending. Um, so, yeah, not a not a... Not a, you know, nine out of ten while we're smashing everyone picture. But um, I do think, like I said at the top, 
I think some of it does feed into the small squad, a lot of games, and we have had a few injuries. So I'm not I'm not overly concerned, but I expect us now in these last three in the Premier League, I want to see. I don't want to just see wins because obviously I think we all agree we need th- we need three points from all three games, but I want to see us kind of turn it on a little bit. Um, we've got a nice run of fixtures, and it would be good to to see us turn the screw a little bit because I think that will damage confidence around the rest of the league if we can do so. Howard, I'll throw this over to you. Don't you think that as we approach the World Cup, um, it, it becomes more about just getting the results <laughs> rather than performances? <laughs> Literally, that was going through my head as Lloyd spoke, yeah. It feels like an end of season. Uh, mm. I'm just being selfish, Howard, don't worry. Well, no, the, <laughs> what, yeah, must win games. That's what you're going to call them, Lloyd. Because <laughs> the point is, we just don't know what comes out the other side of the World Cup for everyone. We just don't know. I know you've put, you know, Kevin De Bruyne's form, is it a worry? Not really, because it really does feel like April, like a mini April where if we win our next three games, Seville game doesn't matter. Fans will have different views on the uh, Carabao Cup tie, of course, but let's be honest, that doesn't really matter. My focus is really on nine points in the league. doesn't really matter how well the players play because we know they're great. If they're not playing that well, it's probably fatigue. And by the time they have to play again, we've had a World Cup and we just don't know what's happening. You know, mm. if the get, if the season was just like normal, we're just continuing endlessly, then we'll probably be discussing form a bit more and if we need to rest players and so on and so forth. But right now, it, it does feel like an end of the season. Get over the line, get the points, reassess on the 28th of December when uh, we start up again. Or I say 28th, if we do get past Chelsea. There'll be yet another Carabao Cup pre-season game as well. But essentially the important stuff, the league for now, that's how it feels in a way. So, yeah, I don't think, obviously, the two are tied. You play well, you're more likely to win. But if City don't play that well and get nine points, I'm not going to give it too much thought. As I would if you know, we, weren't, we weren't playing well in January, February onwards. Yeah. Um very quickly, Guardiola's just started his press conference, uh, and the word on Haaland is, we will see how he is feeling in training, and then we will decide if he can play against Leicester. So, for for, for all of us who have got Haaland in our FPL teams, yeah, I don't... <laughs> do, do. I don't see, that could that, mean anything, because yeah. he might just be doing that so that Rodgers doesn't know what team to pick. Yeah. Or yeah. he might just not be available. So, so. Yeah. And, well, he has said that everyone has trained everyone has trained uh, i have to wait until they come back this afternoon and see how they feel so uh, i assume if, that if he's definitely out if he was out i don't think he'd say that to be fair i agree if he I was agree. definitely out i think there's I think probably a good chance he'll play yeah i, I would, uh, I, would I mean with that. what well I, i'm not sure because he might yeah to be honest it's not pep's way to do mind games is it no i think the good thing is if he was Badly injured, and I mean badly as in just like even a few weeks, he definitely would have said something, yeah. Yeah. So at the no, worst, I'm, he's probably missing a game. So Yeah, I, I would go along with that. And look, I mean, I'm I'm a little bit jumping ahead to the left of preview, but yeah. the, real, the reality is that with the three games that we have left, Leicester, Fulham, and Brentford, we should be winning those with or without Haaland. So um, that's that would be my take on it. Um, Lloyd... I'm interested in how you view 
the league and the title race in general. And I guess the, the point of that question is, there is obviously a conversation around form, around individual players, how they're doing, the Walker injury, how that's affecting balance, all of those things. But there is a context. We don't exist in a vacuum. The context is the rest of the top six or seven, however many there are there. So how are you looking at the rest of them in terms of challenges for the title? Good question. I think I've, I think I'd have given you a slightly different answer before Arsenal dropped points against Southampton. Um, I think before that, I'd have still said, I see us as quite clearly the leader of the pack. And I, I think we'll, I still think, feel confident that we'll end up um, with a good bit of distance between us and whoever comes second. That being said, um, I do, I do think Arsenal dropping points was not massively significant, but I think it's, it's, de- it's undoubtedly a good thing for us. Um, they've obviously also lost to PSV last night, as far as I understand. Um, and I think what's what that's really hammered home is what everyone's been saying about Arsenal, but it hasn't actually happened yet, which is that they've got a small, small squad, they've got a good 14-15, but if for whatever reason they can't play those or they choose not to play those in the case of PSV, then actually they're a bit weak outside of that. And I know that we got schooled home and away a little by uh, Hassan Hussle last season. But they're much worse this season. Um, and, mm. you know, that's that's not a great point to drop. And they probably could have lost it as well, to be fair. So I think that was, that's positive. Um, Spur, Spurs have surprised me in the negative sense. I, I really thought Spurs this season would be a I bit closer, a bit closer called, to us. I called that a month ago. Yeah, no, I, fair play. I don't, I don't see it. So before the season started, I thought, I looked at their sign-ins you know, Conte's a serious manager. He's mounted title challenges pretty much everywhere he's gone. Um, with Kane and Son, I thought, you know what, I think Spurs, I, I didn't think they'd run us, you know, all the way for the title, but I thought maybe for the first half of the season, they'd be quite competitive. Um, that's obviously not been the case. I think Kulisevsky being out, to be fair, has been a big blow for them because he's obviously a top player and he gives them that bit of creativity that I don't think they have. Um, but their results like in Europe haven't been good either I know they're top of their group but they've faltered a bit so that's been a bit surprising and then Liverpool I've been very I've been very confident um, I think when was it when they they lost before us and that, that was really nailing the coffin and then I thought okay you know even if they beat us I don't I don't see I don't see it turning around from here they obviously beat us and I felt the same um, but then to go and lose again to Forest, I mean, come on, they're not they're not serious this season. And I still don't think, I, you know, again, good result midweek. But I, I don't see them going on a, going on a serious run that would put City under threat. So I just think there's a bit of a gap between us and everybody else. Arsenal look like the most serious at the moment, but I think that could change post World Cup. And I think the big one that has also surprised me with. Chelsea uh, with with Spurs and not necessarily because I didn't see it coming but Potter has been very consistent since he's got into 
Chelsea. Um, they've not played great, but they've absolutely cracked the results out. I think he's won six and eight. Um, and they're building a little bit of like slow momentum. I've watched some of their games, like they were crap against Villa, probably should have lost. Very lucky to get come away with three points there. So again, not not particularly concerned, but that would be like my back of a fag packet kind of rumblings on where I see most of the other contenders in inverted commas. So you think City from here win this league quite comfortably? Which is if I if I if I read between the lines of what you've said there, I think so. Yeah, I mean, well, there is an argument that the rest of the top four are not title contenders. Uh, no. I don't ascribe to that. I think Arsenal, yet I say every season, no one's getting 90 points or more. So I'll keep saying it until it's actually true uh, one season. Uh, if you don't need 90 points or more, I don't think Arsenal are going to fall off a cliff or anything. They're just not going to maintain this form or results. Uh PSV, they were terrible apparently against them. But I, I assume they'd already qualified, even if they had not won the group. So perhaps we, should, we can't read too much into that. We don't know how seriously they took it or in the players' heads. We don't know how players are approaching this, you know, the upcoming World Cup if they're trying already to regulate their efforts and body. I, I don't think they'll fall off a cliff, but I think they'll finish in the top four. But if you still think, if you're one of those people who think, well, Chelsea and United are, are real threats, really, or just Chelsea, or you still can't get the idea out of your head that Liverpool could mount the charge and win games on the road, then we're effectively five points clear at the top of the table. So, uh, But I do think Arsenal are proper title rivals, but it doesn't feel yet so serious as if, say, Chelsea or, of course, the Liverpool the last few years were rivals. It don't feel as incessant. It don't feel like we have to win every single game to stay, you know, to get to the top of the table. So, mm. yeah, I I go along with that. I mean, I, <clears throat> I I've seen I've I've watched Chelsea a few times, and although Potter's getting results, he he had a slow start at Brighton. Um, people forget there was a moment where he was the team was getting booed, and and people basically wanted him gone. They didn't rate him, so. I expect that it'll take most of this season for Chelsea to become. It'll be next season before we see the real Chelsea under Potter. So I don't, mm. I don't see them as a as title challengers. I think you're right. Arsenal are, are pretty much the only ones. I, I'm uh, Liverpool are a very confusing team in the sense that they're just rubbish, and I don't really understand why they're rubbish. And then it just, I try not to think about them because then I get angry at Pep because the Anfield thing, I just. <laughs> Just still not over it. I just I watched the first half against Ajax and just watching that game going, how did we play against this team like their peak Real Madrid? It was just baffling. Anyway, I'm gonna get over that. I'm gonna get over that. Let's move on. Um Lloyd, last few weeks, standout performances, positively or negatively. Anything you've seen you've liked, anything you've seen that's worried you. Mm. Um I think Akanji, the more games he's had to play at right back has looked a bit uncomfortable. But I think that's completely understandable. And I think Stones has come back at a good time. Um, I think it was almost unsustainable, to be honest, what Akanji was doing. Never mind in the, in a new team, but in an unfamiliar position. Um, I think on the positive side, Bernardo has just been 
very quietly good in most almost every game that he plays and really does underline just how important he is to this exact type of football that we play not only off the ball but on the ball as well he just recycles possession so well I think he just knits a lot of stuff together so I've been I've been kind of infused to see that not because he's you know he hasn't really scored any goals or had big assists but I think the Dortmund game was a good example where Bernardo comes on the pitch everything looks nice and rosy again and um, I know Pep generally goes for the the four midfielders in big games but you know Bernardo normally always plays in any kind of crucial game for City under Pep Um, I think the only other thing that I've I've noticed is I just can't believe I can't believe how bad Mahrez has been like I thought he'd turn it around over the last couple of weeks. He's played, you know, quite a bit more than he has at earlier points, and obviously Grealish has been a bit more in and out, which has been frustrating. I think you mentioned that on the podcast at the beginning of the week. Like, felt like after Wolves, Grealish was building a bit of a head of storm, scored the goal, and then he's kind of been rotated out a little bit. So that's been frustrating. But Mahrez has just been—I think he's just been absolutely pony properly bad um, and it's not just the pens because yeah the pens are bad but the pens are isolated incidents I think he's just very passive in the game um, and he should be someone that again like Haaland he's not going to the World Cup so we should kind of be looking to him to really bring the fire and he's obviously going to be the guy post World Cup we're, we're going to be like come on Riyad like you've been on the beach for three four weeks so those are the three the three obvious ones for me. I mean, I could throw Cancelo being overplayed in there and the left back thing, but I'm not a sadist and we've talked about that before. So, um, I mean, my head fell off probably 2019 for that. So uh, a bit like tuning out on the negative city stories. I'm a bit, I'm a bit over that. I <laughs> Unfortunately. I, I completely understand. Um, Howard, KDB's form a worry? I mean, I thought Pep was rightly quite pointed in his Brighton post-match press conference where he basically said, yeah, he scored a great goal, but yeah, he can play much better than he has done recently. And he did kind of widen it. It wasn't game-specific. It was generally in in the in the recent past, his his form hasn't been great. Um a worry with a World Cup around the corner? Well, for Belgium, yeah. Maybe. Now, <laughs> now just I refer to my previous answer, it's about getting results now and because you don't know what players you get on either side. He's so good that any any performances that you know are not tipped up, I just think it's a fatigue matter. Well, because he, he is that good that I just don't think he has bad form. And if it is, it's only for a week or so. So I do worry that he's a bit fatigued. Uh, I think he had a black eye last week as well, didn't he? But, you know, that shouldn't affect him too much. But he's had the week off. We managed to win our group and not play him, which, you know, was absolutely brilliant. So unless he puts a, st- you know, ask me on Monday. Uh, <laughs> if he does a stinker <laughs> against Leicester, then yeah, it's an issue. But it isn't really an issue except for two weeks. Because there's only three games we have to worry about. So, no, not really. I'm really glad he's had the week off anyway. Excellent. Yeah, same. I mean, um, the fact that he, the fact that he got arrest, 
on on Tuesday, I think is um is really good. It's definitely really good. Um right, Howard, we are now going to cut to you talking to a Leicester supporter. Do you want to do a little intro before we pop over there? Uh, not really. It'll explain itself, yeah. But yesterday, on Thursday, uh, I spoke to Charlie Carmichael, a Leicester fan, about all things Leicester and this weekend's match. So here it is coming up now. I'm delighted to be joined by Leicester fan Charlie Carmichael ahead of this weekend's game. Uh, hi, Charlie. How are you doing? Yeah, very well. Thanks, mate. How are you? Yeah, not bad at all. Uh, not bad. Looking forward to... <laughs> dwindling number of league games before the World Cup, no doubt. Uh, so, yeah, looking forward to what should be an interesting game at the weekend. Uh, before we talk about that, though, let's talk about Leicester. Is it fair to say a disappointing summer in the transfer market has been followed, until the last fortnight at least, uh, by a disappointing season as well for your team? Yeah, that's that's definitely a fair assessment. I think obviously the transfer window uh, was bitterly disappointing. You know, Rogers was told there was going to be some funds there, and then that that didn't materialise for one reason or another. And uh, it you know quickly became clear that we were going to have to sell before we bought. Uh, but not only that, you know, sell significantly before we bought. So you know, even offloading people like the club captain Schmeichel, who was also our joint highest earner. Mm. Obviously, the big money we raised for Wesley Fofana, and then to only make one signing. Uh, was pretty disappointing and I think that yeah sort of doom and gloom carried us into the season and uh, while I don't think anyone was realistically expecting us to threaten the top six as we had then in recent years I don't think anyone really had a relegation scrap on the cards either so where's where's that come from then this lack of funds obviously you established uh, Premier League side has there been did did you hear rumours of you know not be, having much funds available before the summer came or has it come out of the blue that you you failed to make you know some big signings uh, before um, the season started? Yeah, a little bit out of the blue. I mean, there were some warning signs there. Obviously, the pandemic has hit every every team hard. Yeah. Um, and you know, the King Power Group operating obviously in the travel industry for from duty free, uh, and no exception to that. You know, they're going to be hit harder than most. Um, so I think that was one major one major issue. Um, another one was that pretty much every year we've sold a player, you know, whether it's Mares to you guys or whether it's, uh, you know, Chilwell or Drinkwater or Maguire or, you know, Kante, whoever it might be. We've always made kind of a big money sale. And the summer before last, we, did, we didn't make any sales. We kept hold of everyone. Uh, and that was, you know, we also bought in uh, the likes of Pat Sandaka, Bibicari Samore, uh, Yannick Vestergaard, Ryan Bertrand, you know, it was, it was a pretty hefty outlay for us, especially considering that we hadn't sold anyone. Um, and I think a lot of that was kind of gambling on sort of continuing to threaten the top six. Um, and obviously then we had a load of injuries. We had a, we had a bit of a dodgy season and, you know, we, we finished outside of that. So we didn't have European football or the revenue that that generates either that we had them for the previous two years to fall back on. So I think a combination of those two things, the fact that our squads is the seventh highest wage bill uh, in the league. And obviously without the the requisite funds, you know, we're not a massive club. We're not like a Liverpool or a Manchester United who can rely on global merchandise sales mm. or, you know, absorbent amounts of tickets and, and sort of television revenue. So I think the pandemic coupled with, you know, the lack of uh, sales and a lot of signings and obviously the drop in revenue from, from Europe, and you know, combines with, with everything else. Um, yeah. Sort of made the perfect nightmare really. <laughs> Uh, which positions in the squad did you want to see strengthened that weren't, you know, that still now you think are the weak areas of your squad? Yeah, I mean, we brought in one centre-back, um, which was kind of what all the fans wanted us to do, but that yeah. was one for centre-back in addition to Wesley Fofana. That wasn't <laughs> that wasn't meant to be a like-for-like. Like. So, um, 
you know, Wout Faze has been has been brilliant since he's come in, but still another centre back. You know, Johnny Evans isn't getting any younger. He's sort of, you know, coming towards the twilight end of his career. And, you know, for one reason or another, um, Brendan Rodgers has deeply fallen out with Chad Glassy Inshu, so he no, no longer appears to be an option for us. Um, and Daniel Lamarte is a is a bit of a you know you get a bit of a heart attack every time you watch him play. Really, you know he's got a bit of a mistake in him. So uh, definitely definitely another centre back. I think a right winger would have been massive as well. You know we had Adamola Luckman on loan last season um, from RB Leipzig. Um, again, we couldn't afford uh, the fourteen million pounds to to pay for him, which seems crazy and kind of you know putting it into relatively speaking terms of Premier League uh, budgets. But yeah, couldn't afford to sign him, so he went to Atalanta. Um, and yeah, we've been playing James Madison at right wing in a four three three, and he, you know, he's very good, but he's obviously not a natural right winger. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of you know outside of Mark Albrighton, who's again sort of well past it at this point. Harvey Barnes is the only real winger in the squad, so centre back and right winger would have been the two positions. Uh, all that said, with lack of uh, you know signings in the summer market, did you? Was it still a surprise just how poor the beginning of the season was? Was it seven games? I think without a win before you got your first win is that right or? yeah yeah no 100% it was a it was a massive shock to the system I think like I said no one realistically expected us to, to be threatening the top six again mm. given the summer that we'd had but I think you know mid table was kind of the expectation you know anywhere between sort of that those eight eighth and tenth or eighth and eleventh um, so to find ourselves kind of rooted to the bottom of the table after a few games you know uh, throwing away a two goal lead on the opening day against Brentford you know being battered by the likes of Spurs and Brighton um yeah, losing to Southampton at home, it was a real sort of reality check for us. And I think, you know, Rogers is is kind of rubbed fans up the wrong way by, you know, continually bemoaning the board and going on about the lack of signings. And there is, of course, truth in what he's saying. And that has definitely been a barrier to success this season. But in the same breath, you know, this is very much the pretty much the same squad bar Wesley Fofana that, you know, has got fifth the last two seasons that is, uh, before last season has won an FA Cup. You know, it's it's by no means a bad team and it's by no means a team that should be in threat of relegation. So while, yes, we did need a refresh and we could have done with some extra bodies in there, you know, it doesn't excuse the, the how quite how bad the performances were. I've, yeah, you mentioned Brendan Rodgers. I find it so hard to define. You've In the past, obviously, tailed off in seasons. It could often be linked to injuries. I look at Liverpool right now and think, well, our injury is always bad luck. It's how it's trained. And it's up and down reputation in a way. What? And I guess two weeks ago, the answer to this question might be very different. So uh, <laughs> just where, I mean, it's obviously you, you can't define how every single Leicester City fan feels about Brendan Rodgers. But is he, is he right now still very much dif, uh, dividing fans? Or is, uh, is there a majority now who frustrated with him or like to see a change perhaps in the near future um i think if you'd asked me before the leeds and the wolves game i would have told you that the fan base is pretty you know pretty unified on it uh but the unification being that we want him out you know i would have said that you know the, the, the vast majority of fans there was booze at full time for three games straight people were carrying banners into the grounds with saying rogers out and stuff like that so it was a, it was becoming a very toxic atmosphere and one that was quite unfathomable to see how he would turn it around um but obviously, yeah, put in a, uh, you know, beat beat Nottingham Forest, our rivals, which was great. And then went straight from that to losing to Bournemouth, um, which was obviously unacceptable. But then the last three games, you know, nil-nil with Palace. We were the better team, deserved to win, but just couldn't find a winner. And then obviously back-to-back wins against Leeds and Wolves. So the atmosphere has changed slightly. It has sort of shifted towards... I wouldn't say the fans are all, you know, linking arms and singing Brendan Rodgers' name or anything like that. But... Mm-hmm. Um, 
there's certainly less kind of malice and, and toxicity in the atmosphere of the ground now. So, uh, yeah, I think fans are sort of cautiously optimistic that Rogers has started to turn it round, but I don't think anyone's sort of fully there yet and saying, yeah, he's, you know, the best thing since sliced bread again yet. So it's four clean sheets in the last five games, I think, and obviously two uh, very useful league wins. What What's changed? Uh, has the performances gone up a level? Have you just... Have you become tighter in defence? Are you just more lethal in front of goal? Because those stats from the Wolves games there have been banded around. I think you had you had five shots in total, but your first four shots resulted in four goals. I think Wolves XG was higher. They had twenty one shots, and yet you've got a one four nil. So you can't really complain, can you? Uh, has have you seen something change in how the team plays in the last couple of weeks that's brought you these better results? Yeah, I mean, I think the maddest stat that I've read was that after the first seven games of the season, we'd conceded the most goals at that stage of a season in Premier League history compared wow. to any other team. Um, and after 12 games, we have the second most clean sheets in the league. <laughs> so that, you know, that really just sums up how how bonkers it all is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, tactically in the last few games, there has definitely been a shift, kind of that po- post-international break um, where Rogers obviously had two weeks to kind of go away and reflect on things. We're playing a bit more defensive, um, you know, trying to pick our opportunities to go forwards as opposed to sort of, you know, like attacking all guns blazing. Um, we're doing, we we kind of worked the whole summer on this uh, tactical routine where Ricardo and um, James Justin, the two fullbacks, which is kind of similar to how Pep used his fullbacks at Bayern Munich and, and a little bit about how he's used it at Manchester City, but kind of in, in an inverted sense. Yeah. And they join the the defensive midfielder and they give us more sort of central solidity. Yeah. Um, on the final warm-up game of the season, Ricardo ruptured his AC, uh, ruptured his Achilles, and he's he's been ruled out for six months. So that plan, uh, plan kind of went out the window automatically. And we've kind of never really been able to find a solution to how to deal with that because Castagna on the right is a very different prospect stylistically to what Ricardo is. Um, but what we've done in the last few games is Yuri Tillmans has actually dropped out of midfield almost into that right-back position to kind of aid build-up play um, and help us transition through the lines, uh, which has allowed us to beat presses far more effectively and allowed us to be a bit more stable. And it's also given Castagna the freedom to kind of just bomb up the right wing which in turn, obviously, with Madison playing at right wing, allows him to invert a bit because someone else is holding the width and he can do his most creative damage, which is obviously more in that kind of natural number 10 role. Um, and yeah, so that has been a clear tactical shift in the last few games and it's clearly bearing fruit. Uh, got to talk about Jamie Vardy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> is he more his role now more useful as a super sub? Uh, and if he is... Uh, 35 now, I think, is it? Is Rod- Do you think uh, Brendan Rodgers might be tempted to start him, considering City's high line, tendency to have a high line and the damage he's done to us in the past? Yeah, I mean, I expect Jamie Vardy to start still. It's been a really hard season for him. Obviously, he got his first goal, got off the mark against uh, Wolves, and that was his 100th Premier League goal since turning the age of 30, mm. which, is a, which is a record in the division. You know, you could go on and on about how miraculous Jamie Vardy is as a football player, but... Um, yeah, he's yeah, yeah, he's a he's a madman. I don't know how someone with that diet has produced those statistics, but there you <laughs> two go. Te- yeah, two tequila slammers on. on you go. <laughs> yeah, but um, no, I mean clearly he is slowing down a bit. Clearly, age is catching up with him a little bit. But um, I think he's still lethal, and I think he's he's you know a victim of circumstance in the sense that he's been playing in a very stale team that's not creating an awful lot of opportunities for him. 
Um, obviously, the Wolves game were a bit more free flowing, and he did get that opportunity, did tuck it away. Mm. Um, but given that his legs, you know, quite aren't what they used to be, the t- uh, Rogers tends to be rotating quite a lot. So what we've seen in the last few games is Jamie Vardy starting the home games and Pat Sandaka starting the away games. So whether that's just sort of uh, by design or whether he's just rotating it, you know, game after game, I'm not too sure. But I would expect Vardy to probably play at home to Manchester City, um, maybe get withdrawn after 70 or so minutes because, you know, we are managing, having to manage him more and more now. But it's not to say that, you know, over the course of a, a breathtaking 30 seconds, he can't turn a game on his head still. And just finally, before we uh, look at the match itself, the World Cup is, of course, coming up. Uh, I think only three league games left. How will that affect Leicester? How, have you got a lot of players that will be there at the World Cup? Um, not as many as you'd expect for a team like Leicester. Um, you know, Gareth Southgate. I think he said he was going to name a fifty-five man squad, um, yeah. and you can put yeah, you can put your money on now that James Madison's the fifty-sixth pick. Um, <laughs> you know, he's, uh, he's he really does not seem to want to play him, despite the fact that he's been in sensational form for well over twelve months now. You know, and, and a lot a lot of the time playing in a dysfunctional team as well. You, you see him um, all the time. Does that absolutely baffle you? Yeah, oh, yeah, completely. You know, I can't get my head around it. I, I appreciate that Southgate doesn't usually play with a number ten, but you know, for the last six, seven months at least, you know, Madison's been operating at right wing and putting up, you know, numbers that have been put in Grealish, Foden, Mount, you know, Rashford, Sancho to shame. So you know, it is it is a bit baffling to me how he how he can't even get you know in the squad. You know, whether he starts or not, you know, you could you could make an argument for that. But yeah, to not even be in you know a, a twenty six man squad is yeah. is a bit baffling to me. Exactly. Yeah, and who else uh, elsewhere in the squad will will quite a lot of players um, not be going there and, and be. Yeah, so obviously we don't have Schmeichel. Maybe for months. <laughs> yeah, don't have Schmeichel anymore. Da- Danny Ward will be going as the, as the Welsh keeper. Um, whether first choice or second choice, kind of still to be decided. Um, the Belgium contingency will be going. So Wout Faze, um, Timothy Castagna, Dennis Pratt, and Yuri Tillemans will all be there representing Belgium, no doubt. Um, I don't believe Nigeria qualified. I think I'm right in saying that, which means that obviously Ian Acho and Ndidi won't be there. Um, and then obviously, you know, the English contingent, Madison, Vardy, uh, James Justin, Harvey Barnes, like I don't expect any of them to kick in and Dewsbury Hill, like none of them are going to be there either. So, yeah, the vast majority of the team are, are going to get a bit of a break. I think it will just be the, the Belgium lads, really, and a couple of others. OK, well, Saturday's game. First question I was asked is for 1230s. You were a fan of them. I I hate them and I have in my head that City don't do very well at them, but I don't have any stats to hand to, to prove that. Uh, <laughs> uh, how do you feel about a 12.30 Saturday kickoff? Are you a fan at home? Yeah. yeah, I mean, as a as a Leicester fan that's based in London, I don't mind them so much purely because, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to the game, it's a bit infuriating. But as a fan who's obviously can just tune in via, via BT or whatever, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's not too bad, especially because... Uh, I think the wife likes them as well because obviously we can go out on Saturday. You know, it's it's over and yeah. done with sort of early Saturday morning, and then we've got the day together. Where it, it's a three or a five thirty kickoff, she's always like, oh, just you know, hanging around for it. So from that from that perspective, it's um, it is good. But yeah, I, t- I take the point. as a match day going fan, I much prefer the three o'clocks. I mean, it's a great one to win because then you just go to the three o'clocks. You can enjoy the rest of the weekend, and it set you up for the whole weekend. It's a horrible one having the first game and losing as well. So uh, the recent form, though, has it not made you... You didn't sound very confident before I pressed the record button on this uh, recording. Uh, and I said, look, if you if you think... Uh, and obviously, we discussed it a lot recently on our own podcast. 
I don't think City are anywhere near the top of their game right now. I don't think it's just City. I think a lot of teams, you know, I think some fatigue has definitely uh, showed in the last couple of weeks. City haven't scored in the last three away games as well, though they're all three very different games. Uh, played with 10 men in Copenhagen, two of them were Champions League, and of course, Anfield. Has your recent form made you more confident you can get a result in this game? Um, I think that probably largely depends on Erling Haaland's fitness for me, just mm. purely because, you know, as you said a few times this season, you might not have been quite at the races, but you still won games just purely because he's there and he has about six touches and he scores a hat trick. Yeah. Um, you know, he seems absolutely superhuman. Obviously, we've, we've seen last season at times, you know, City can be frustrated with a, kind of a lack of cutting edge, you know, if Foden's playing in that false nine role or whatever it may be. I haven't seen a lot of... Um, is it Alvarez or Alves? The um, yeah, who Argentine. Yeah, he won't be starting. Yeah, so, yeah, so well, he, um, I guess he could be. We're not. We haven't had a Haaland injury yet. We record this on the Thursday, so we've no idea. We should say as as we speak, yeah. we've not had an injury yet. So I guess he could start. But I, I think City would possibly revert to a false nine like they did last season if Haaland is out. So. Yeah, so I think, you know, depending on that, and I know there's a there's a few injuries at the back as well, and, and Jao Cancelo is kind of uh, another one that might be touch and go for the game. So, you know, if there's no Cancelo, there's no Haaland's, um, you know, maybe there's no Kyle Walker and things either, then mm. then, then maybe I could see us getting something. Um, you know, if we stick to the plan, if we play well, if we manage to catch you out on a couple of counter-attacks. But by and large, I'm, I'm, I'm not expecting anything out of this game. I don't think many Leicester fans would be. Well, you've you've got one of me rumours wise on Cancelo because I wasn't aware of that one. Obviously, he went off at half time with Haaland uh, against Dortmund. Pep said he had they had a touch of fever, so I don't know what he means by that. They had influenza, so and they were knackered. Both they were both knackered. I would yeah, hope I mean, that if they're not injured, they would be unknackered by Saturday lunchtime. <laughs> but and we don't have many up because Walker's out. We have to play Cancelo in a way. So if he's not injured or in bed with a fever, I think he would play if we if he doesn't. Yeah, we've got big ish, big issues there. Uh, Walker Phillips, yeah, they they're, they definitely two who will be out uh, yeah. for this game, and uh, we've missed Walker big time. So, how do you, what should we expect from the home side? Do you think uh, Rogers will have you sitting deep and counter attacking? Uh, quite a very useful tactic for a lot of teams against City, as Dortmund kind of showed. Uh, during the week yeah I think so I mean we saw a lot of joy out of that you know we, we don't have a bad track record really against Manchester City yeah. um, in recent seasons you know since Pep's come in I think uh, the first game we played at the King Power against Pep Guardiola Jamie Vardy scored a hat-trick um, so you know that was uh, we, we do have a decent track record there obviously because stylistically we are you know with the likes of Jamie Vardy the likes of Harvey Barnes yeah. uh, we are set up to kind of play on the break at times but um under Rogers, he tends to like to try and dominate games. You know, I think there has to be a reality check there in the sense that, you know, we're not going to be able to dominate this game possession-wise. So, you know, sitting a bit deeper and playing on the counter would, would suit us better. Uh, we tend to kind of, we play in a 4-3-3, but very much out of possession. It's a 4-4-2. Um, the two wingers kind of drop to join the midfield and Kin and Drewsbury Hall pushes up uh, from that number eight role to form a second striker with Jamie Vardy. And they, that, that's how they sort of line up out of possession, trying to press the opposition. Whether we'll be quite so aggressive in the press, given how good City are at kind of uh, playing their way through that, I'm not too sure. So I probably expect us to be a bit more compact. Um, and yeah, look for the likes of Vardy or the likes of Barnes on the break. Do you press a lot at the moment? Have you been aggressive in that respect? Again, yeah, we've that's been. something I think you need against City. 
think yeah, we, yeah. did it so well. They weren't aggressive as such. They were just so well positioned that they cut off all the passing routes, you know, from uh, Edison uh, through Rodri. So. Yeah, it, t- it tends to be the case where, as I said, kind of Dewsbury Hall sort of joins Vardy in that second mm. striker role and, and Madison and Barnes all kind of uh, tuck in a little bit to try and cut off passing lanes to the fullbacks. Um, and then you're obviously in possession, it shifts again because, as I kind of mentioned earlier, Yuri Tillemans drops almost into that right back position. It allows Castagna to push up and, and Madison inverts. So, yeah, it, it's quite a fluid sort of 4 3 3 that changes in and out of possession. But I think the main worry for us is obviously, you know, Tillemans kind of drops into that back line to help aid transitions and stuff like that. But if Tillemans is pressed aggressively on the ball and he loses it there, he's then quite far out of his midfield position um, and there'll be space to exploit there. So I think going the other way, that's something that I'm a bit cautious about. Uh, Let's stay with him. Just I'll talk about one player who hasn't left you and one who has. So the one who hasn't (laughs) was Tillmans. Obviously, last year of his contract was rumoured, you know, a lot of transfer gossip during the the summer. Has he let it affect him or is is he putting in some good performances still for Leicester? Um, he's been str- he struggled the back end of last season and he, he struggled the first few games of this season as as did the whole squad but um, you got some fans that kind of said oh is he downing tools is his heart in it anymore you know I've never really got that impression from him you know he he's uh, he's not vice captain he's kind of vice vice captain Mark Albrighton is vice captain but Mark Albrighton never plays so I'm not quite sure why he's got that duty anyway <laughs> uh, so in, in uh, Johnny Evans absence you know Yuri Tillemans is the is the default captain um, and he, you know, he still puts in shifts. He still leads the team by example. And since we've made this kind of minor tactical switch, and he's playing almost more that quarterback role where he's picking up the ball deep and trying to break lines. You know, he's he's been excellent in the last few games. And I don't think anyone can kind of fault his attitude or mentality, both on or off the pitch. You know, it's it's clearly going to be a shame to see him go on a free next summer. But um, you know, he'll go with the vast majority of fans' well wishes. Mm. And the one who did leave is oh, who someone I would be surprised to see start. He's been in the poor form for City probably since you know two thirds last season through two thirds yeah you know, about March time perhaps is Riyad Mahrez he was at yours he was at Leicester for four years I think obviously came of age there and won the league how consistent was he for for you join us for his years whilst he was at Leicester. Yeah, I mean Riyad Mahrez was phenomenal. He was well. He, I mean, he was bought for about. £375,000, I think, which (laughs) is absolutely absurd. Um, And he was initially brought in when we were in the championship and his remit was to add competition for Anthony Knockhart and Lloyd Dyer on the wing. So not even to start, to just be brought in as as kind of their backup and and help push them each day in training. Yeah, Um, was it you brought in? Lahav, yeah, yeah. Um, Which is is a bit baffling when you see like what he's gone on to achieve since. But um, yeah, kind of took a while to get going, grow accustomed to the English game. We obviously sort of came in in January and then we went on to sort of romp our way to the championship title. Next season, the Premier League kind of nearly get relegated. You can kind of see the technical ability there from him, but he's, he struggled in patches. And then mm. sort of we went through this kind of great escape, if you like, at the back end of the season where Pearson kind of changed the formation a little bit. He almost played Maris as a number 10 behind Vardy and Ajoa. Um And Maris just came to life. He was a real creative spark in those few games, really helped us. And then obviously we had the scandal in the summer. Ranieri comes in and replaces him as manager. Everyone's thinking, fearing the worst. And he doesn't really change anything, Ranieri. The only thing he kind of changes is to move Mares uh, back to the right wing but in, and sort of start a 4-4-2 uh, formation. And Mares just picked up where he left off the season before, same as Vardy. And with the added defensive stability that uh, N'Golo Kante was giving him, mm. he just absolutely ran riot. And, you know... Um, 
he was yeah sensational in that season. He was brilliant in the Champions League run in the following season. Um, thereafter, when we got Claude Puel come in and stuff, and there was interest from City and a new a uh, few other teams, he he did start to sulk through his toys out the pram. You know, at one point he was refusing to train. So I don't think that's you know that that love hasn't been lost by the Leicester fans. I think yeah. he might get a, a couple of jeers and boos just for his <laughs> attitude towards the ends. You know, so yeah, by and large, a, a phenomenal player, and you know, pr- probably the best first touch I've ever seen in world football. Oh, it's honestly God, absolutely it's, ridiculous. It's obscene um, when he picks it out. Yeah, it yeah, is. crazy. Just, you never get bored of seeing that. Yeah, even when he's not playing well, it's just how he. Yeah, he just stuns the ball. Do you take? My- yeah. Penalties for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I never felt confident of him stepping up at the penalty spot at Leicester City, so I don't know why he's on penalties for you guys. Um, Lack of options, to be honest. Uh, yeah. come now, of course, but he wasn't playing uh, in the second half against Dortmund, so he wasn't on the pitch. Uh, I guess no one else is volunteering, so... Yeah, I mean, yes. like we had uh, Jamie Vardy was always the the default yeah. penalty taker, but whenever Vardy wasn't on the field, it, it fell to Riyad Mahrez. Mm. Um, and yeah, you you never felt comfortable with him stepping up from twelve yards out. Yeah. Well, yeah, I say uh, I'd be surprised if he'd start uh, this weekend's game, but hopefully we'll get his form back uh, on the back of a new contract as well. Obviously, I'm sure he will be back stronger at some point. Uh, right, just all that's left then is. Uh, Sorry to ask you this. I ask everyone a score prediction for the weekend match. Um, I think it might go similar to the Brighton game for you guys. So I'm going to go three-one Man City. Okay, the crazy score lines between the two tend to be at the Etihad, don't they? So <laughs> fewer games at the King, uh, fewer goals at the King Power usually, but we'll see. Uh, well, yeah, I think we're both not super confident. <laughs> I've seen. <laughs> I've seen elements of fatigue. I'm I'm going to go for a very nervy and tight 2-1 win to City, but I don't do it with huge confidence. I think it will be a very tight game, so we will see. Yeah, well, I'd say, you know, obviously I'd, I'd, I'd love to get a, a point or even three, but, mm. um, you know, I'd, at this point, I think if, if we could take a competent performance and hold our own and you can come away from the game saying, yeah, Leicester really did themselves justice there, I'd be happy with that. Yeah, and I guess, well, do you still feel you're, banging a relegation fight or do you feel that you've turned a corner and you're looking up the table now? Because I was going to ask what's your hopes for the season but I guess you have a bad start and then it kind of knocks any hopes. <laughs> it kind of destroys any hopes, doesn't it? Because even getting into Europe now is going to be a tough ask. Yeah, I very much don't expect us to, to get into Europe but um, yeah, I'd probably be able to answer that question better once, you know, Man City game's a bit of a write-off really but then we've got Everton and West Ham yeah. uh, both away from home before the uh, inter- uh, before the World Cup kicks in so you know I think they're massive games for us obviously yeah, we're, we're we're just kind of above that relegation zone at the minute and because it's so yeah sort of truncated down there in terms of points if we were to win the Everton and West Ham games you know we'll be uh, in mid-table if not slightly in the top yeah. half of the table so it's a bit you know it's, it's funny like that obviously if we if we you know it, it very much depends on those two games I think yeah right as I always say after this weekend uh, all the best with the season uh, hope it yeah, <laughs> goes really well for you thanks for coming yeah, on yeah likewise Charlie. Uh, right, yeah. let's, let's get back to the panel now as we preview uh, the early kickoff on Saturday. It's Leicester City against Manchester City. And we're back in the room. Howard, um, thank you. That was Howard talking to Charlie. Um, right, so looking to tomorrow's game, Lloyd, the obvious question, are Leicester back? They drew their last three results, nil-nil with Palace, beat Leeds 2-0 and beat Wolves 4-0 away i think the four nil away at wolves is the one that has got everybody saying that ooh, 
Leicester mm. are back. Whereas now kind of looking at Wolves going, Wolves are a sinking ship in, in my very humble opinion right now. So are Leicester back on track? Well, I thought Leicester were back before the, uh, they, they played Bournemouth, didn't they? And I think they went one or two up. And then they lost 3-2 and they just won their first game of the season before that. I can't remember who it was against. Maybe Howard can Google it whilst I'm talking. But I thought, okay, maybe maybe this is it. And then they lose 3-2 to Bournemouth and I was like, oh. <laughs> a bit like Liverpool this season. You're like, they're back. No, they're shit. Um, but yeah, I think it, if I was a Leicester fan, actually, I would be really infused by the last three weeks because... Their problem over the last 18 months is they've scored quite a lot of goals. They've played quite good stuff. Barnes is good. Madison's been amazing. Castagna's quite a good fullback. Tielemans is a very good player. Scores, you know, the odd worldie. They've got the make, they've got a lot of the makings of like a good team, but the back four particularly and losing Schmeichel has been gutted and affected by injuries and they've just shipped loads of goals. So actually, it's probably been really really enjoyable for them over the last few weeks to have a few quite boring games where they've just kept clean sheets and I know that's resulted in draws but I guarantee you and Howard will be able to tell from speaking to Charlie I guarantee you some less fans will be probably pretty happy with that so are they back um, well they've definitely stabilised for sure and um, Rogers. it seems like Rogers is kind of out of last chance saloon which he definitely was in two or three weeks ago um, but I'm a little ca- I'm a little cautious. I mean, Leicester always generally have done quite well against City. Um, if they if they press like they did against Wolves, they'll definitely cause us problems. That's Leicester have always done well when under Rogers, where they've kind of like got in our faces and nicked the ball off us and then spun our defenders. That would be my summation. Okay. Um, Howard, I look at that midfield. Um. Harvey Barnes, Madison, T. Elements, Dewsbury, Hall, and uh, Sumare, Bubaka Sumare. Um, I think that's pretty strong. I think mm. if you were going to if you're going to look at where Leicester are a threat and where they could build a platform from, I think it would probably be that midfield. Would you go along with that? Yeah, they're good going forward. I mean, there's plenty there as they're not going forward. Uh, Madison's. I think Charlie Spike is absolutely incredulous that he can't make the England squad. Uh, but he's having a great season. Madison out on the right. Uh, you know, Barnes has always been an impressive player for me. So huge potential there. And Tillman's having stayed at the club is, you know, he's putting in the performances. So I don't, you know, I don't know. Vardy himself, will he start? Well, Wolves, he went 11 games without a goal before Wolves, but he scored a nine against us, two hat tricks and he probably, we, the way we play Highline probably suits him completely. You know, Dak has obviously shown a bit more form compared to last season. They are good going forward, but it was at the back that, you know, they've now got two second most, you know, Charlie's the second most clean sheets this season of any team, having after seven games conceded more than anyone else ever at that stage of the season. So, so they were weird. That side. is mental. They were so weird mad. side, yeah. But what's meant, you know, just as ridiculous is I think Wolves had 21 shots against them. They had four and scored from them all. Then I think had one more and didn't score from it. So I think they're conceding lots of... So they've had four clean sheets in five, but they are conceding lots of shots, 
which makes me, yeah, which I am very happy to hear. I think there will be chances for us because it's not as if they've suddenly turned their defence into absolutely a fortress that you just can't get past. Uh, the keeper was ridiculed early in the season, is obviously playing better now. But I think it's going to be a game where City get their opportunities and it's a case of, yeah, finding those spaces. But I have no doubt Leicester are dangerous you know, going forward and they were ruthless against Wolves. So that's I think that's the threat in a way is that if they can if they can be clinical, it can't last forever. You can't just have you know, score from eighty percent of your shots. But if they're clinical right now, that that is a big threat to City because then they only need a couple of chances to score a goal. That would be my worry, and I think it's an, it's been an interesting run. Um, Liverpool, Brighton, Dortmund, and now Leicester, because for me, that's four teams who play a kind of positional play system, who are very comfortable pressing high up the pitch, very comfortable going man for man against City. And generally, they all pose uh, a real threat on the, uh, on the counter-attack. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a run in within which you... Just to go back to this idea of performances versus results, I think when you have a run like that, the, the results matter more than the performances do because there's not there's not a whole bunch of other teams that will play the way those four teams have played against us. Um, and so you kind of need to get through that run as, as best you can with the, uh, with the most amount of points that you, uh, that you think that you can, that you can pick up Lloyd. It's an early kickoff away from home and just the, I have no scientific data to back this up, but early kickoffs away from home generally feel like a banana skin to me. They, I reckon they are if you look at the stats. Um, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I've, I remember seeing something. Who did Liverpool played someone this season first up and lost? I can't remember who it was. Well, uh, Forest, but I'd... was it for? Oh, it was Forest, wasn't it? Yeah, it was literally last weekend. Yeah, um, and then someone rolled it out, and it's for teams that are away from home. It's incredibly, it's incredibly low. Um, the alternative is. There's almost nothing better than winning because you're like, oh my god, we've just won. Let's watch like the shit and see what elsewhere. Um, yeah, like the Bulls game, we did play well, but won three 0 and then just put your feet up, can't you, for the rest of the weekend? Yeah, and that was one where Grealish scores after fifty seconds, and you're just like, here we go, boys. Um, yeah, definitely, and I agree with what you both just said there. Like Leicester at their ground. Um, they're obviously in a little bit better form if they press like they did. Yeah, it's de- I think it's definitely potential banana skin. I think of of the three, I think it's probably it's probably definitely the most difficult hmm. of the three. Well, Pep's just said in his press conference, he's got away form. He thinks his be- performance has been better than at home form. Uh, I couldn't disagree more, to be honest. So. <laughs> Aston Villa. I mean, that Co- man Copenhagen. That team, yeah. Mate, that man put that team out against Anfield and they play like that and he's got the audacity yeah. to say that we play better away from home. Get in the bin, Pep. Yeah. It's a, Sorry, it's, Howard. No, it's a tricky, tricky game indeed. So, Yeah. No, I mean, look, looking at it from City's point of view, um, I think there are a few selection conversations that 
we need to have outside of the the Haaland injury to kind of loop back to uh, the Maras conversation from earlier. Howard, would you put Maras in the team to try and play him back in? No, or, no, he's done for you. Yeah, okay, he's done. In, he's he's a cup player now until the World Cup. Fine. Um, Grealish comes back in, gets given an opportunity. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Midfield agreed. then. I, Bernardo or Gundo? Well, that's it. That's the. I mean, Gund- if you play Gundo, and everything else changes, does it not? So, mm. uh, a Bernardo. I mean, it's possible Bernardo could play in the right again. Could he not? Well, I say again, and play Gundo one. But I'd just have Bernardo, Rodri, KDB. Okay. Um, mm. I've got a fe- I've I've got a feeling. If Haaland misses out, yeah, that's we'll point. we'll play the four in midfield. We'll play. I think we'll then play Bernardo and we'll play Gundogan because I think Pep will then be like, "Hmm, we've lost a little bit of the cutting edge that we've obviously had this season. Let's go back to trying to control it a bit more and take the sting out of the game." So I think he'll do that. Otherwise, if Haaland plays, I would expect Grealish, Foden, Haaland as the front three. Mm. Um, how are you lining a back four up? <laughs> Good, good question. Let's. I know, and Lloyd. Let's make Ace then answer a question. <laughs> no, I wonder if he wants Ace. I get to, well, I get to ask the difficult questions well, by being the host. Well, Ace, I was on the Premier League. Yeah, we had about five ten minutes on the Premier League preview show with Steve and Ben. Uh, I wonder how much pace he wants. Yeah, you know, in that back line, I'm just wondering where he would want Akanji to play. So. I think it all comes from who do you put a right back, basically, and I've no idea. So, <laughs> Andy Stones to be risked twice in a week, having just come back from injury. So, a lot of uncertainties. That's, that's well, I'll take the mantle and try and answer. Um, Thanks. No worries. Uh, I can tell you a Flandern. <laughs> big time. Um, I think that's the big question. Is Stones fit enough to play again? If he is, I think he plays. He's definitely the best option at right back. Otherwise, I expect it'll be a Kanji again. I don't see Gomez coming in. Um, I don't think Gomez, I've said it a few times, I just don't think Gomez is a serious player. I know we've not seen loads of him, but I think we've seen enough of him to know that he's not a serious option at the moment, particularly Howard's not, not going to like that. Howard's not going to like that. He's going to be very upset. Are you saying that, Lloyd? Well, hmm? I'm sorry, but... Why? Why is that? That's true. I think if, am I am I misrepresenting you? I feel like the yeah, last yeah. time we had this, it's a potential. Were... No, it's but it's potential. He's not ready right okay. now to play big games. So. Okay, this is a big game. Yeah, I think so. I think all Premier League games are big no. games, but yeah, I, yeah, I'm we would have loved him to come in and smash it, but it, you know he hasn't. Uh, I'm not writing him off either. It's just he's there as potential, but yeah, we've already discussed the fullback problem, not bringing in a ready-made one, and yeah, that's just part of that. So. Mm, I'm sorry, course. Howard. I've yeah. mischaracterised your, uh, <laughs> yeah. your feelings. I'm up, yeah, I, I, I would not make a prediction on how he, you know, where he ends up at City at all. It's a wait and see, just like Alvarez in a way. Okay, sorry, yeah. Lloyd. So, please continue. No worries. So I think he's definitely not going to play. Um, Walker. I'm just reading Pep's quotes. Sounds like he's in training, but I don't think he's probably definitely not fit enough to start. Sounds like he's an outside chance he makes the bench, but. We're probably talking next week for that. He's also just said Phillips is back in training, but he can't do contact. 
So he's really going to be in a race for the World Cup if that's the case. So I think it's it's either Stones or it's a Kanji at right back, and then I think the rest of it picks itself. It'll be um, I think it'll be Laporte back in after having played against Brighton. Um, and I think Diaz Laporte. I think it. I think it is Diaz Laporte, but that would be very harsh on Ake, who's been much better than Diaz this season. But we, we're coming back to the same old conversation. Two left, two left-footed centre backs is weird. So let's not do it. Here we go. Here we go again. <laughs> Absolute, honestly, disgraceful. <laughs> <laughs> it's discrimination. It's just weird. I don't. I don't know why it is weird. It should be Ake and Laporte, I think, but it won't be, will it? We all know that. It won't be now. No. I think the only thing I would say is that uh, I thought Stones played really well. Um, Tuesday to Saturday is four full days. Um, Good shot, yeah. I I didn't expect him to be thrown back in, and he was. And unless my um, memory is failing, which it is failing, so let's let's face it, I could be wrong, but he did play the 90 minutes, didn't he, Stones? Yeah, he did, yeah. So... So maybe, you know, maybe there is, I think John Stone's a very important player for us this season. I don't know why, but somewhere in my gut, I feel that keeping Stone's fit is key to the second half, or in fact, the second two thirds of the season, because this is barely a third until the World Cup. So it'll be interesting to see whether he does get in the side. I think that if they feel that he's fit enough, he will probably play again at right back and the decision will be over uh, who the two centre-backs are, whether it's Akanji and Diaz or whether it's Diaz and Laporte or whether it's Diaz and Ake or whether it's, you know, who knows what the what the permutation will end up being. But yeah, I, I think I've got a sneaky that Stones will start again. And also, Howard, you'll be pleased to hear after my... Uh, my, my, I was so sure of myself. Edison starts, yeah. Exactly. I was so sure of myself that Ortega would get another start because why would you just drop him in for one Champions League game? Guardiola's got no Edison starts tomorrow, so there you go. What? It would be what? dangerous precedent if he, if he, it would for me be dropping him, not rotating him. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. I guess you don't want to create a story in it as well. No. Unless I, I, you I'll... really don't want to play him, and we're not at that stage yet, so. <laughs> I would hope would never would never be at that stage. So, mm. um, do we feel like I'm going to kind of bring this bring this round now, wrap it up a little bit? Um, do we feel as though these three games, Leicester, um, Fulham, Brentford, they represent an opportunity to not necessarily get back to the top of the table, although. Arsenal do play Chelsea uh, next week, but just sort of let everybody know that we're not going to drop very many points. Yeah, 100%. I think Howard always takes the piss. I roll out the must-win line. Um, I don't think all three are must-wins, Howard. I'm going to surprise you, but I think we need, you know, minimum seven, um, and I think that's being kind to to the players and Guardiola but you know if we drew one it wouldn't I don't think it would be the end of the world but we should be winning all three and like I think I said at the top I do think that would damage confidence of everybody else going into the World Cup and I think that's important imagine the headlines 
imagine what they'll write about if we win three on them. If Arsenal lose a game, like I, I've got this, I've got this thought in my head, right? That if City end up top of the league um, at the World Cup break, we're going to have an entire World Cup of stories about how nobody can compete with City. I'm, I'm just sure of it because it's they. They're desperate for it this season. I think they really are. Um, well, yeah, the league's done and we're not even top. So. <laughs> we're not it's even so, top. It is haven't so been, have we been at any point? I don't know. Maybe if we played first, I think we did for an hour or something. A couple of hours. But January's tough as well. So, you know, it would be great opportunity to get some points on the board before. I agree. Look, I very think, tough I- fixtures coming up. Exactly. I think that's the key thing for me is that I, if you remember the beginning of the season, I, my feeling was, look, whatever happens, you want to, when you get to the World Cup, you want to be within four to six points of where you want to be, right? So for everybody, whether you're challenging for the top four, challenging for the league title, blah, 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 that's where you want to be. I think with the amount of points that Liverpool have dropped, with the way that Spurs are playing, uh, with how inconsistent United are, Personally, I'm looking at these three games going, yeah, we win these three and it's really big, big, big confidence, big confidence going into the World Cup that the other side of that, we've we've built cushions that allow for the odd mishap because City are very good, I feel, at bouncing back from a mishap. And we've shown that with what happened there, with what happened at Anfield. Right, Howard, I'm finishing this up with a simple prediction. Uh, well, what will the score be? Yeah, I did it with Charlie and I went for a tight 2-1 win to City, so I have to stick with that. Manchester City, okay. that is. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, Lloyd? I can't see a cleanie for us, you know. Um, and I'd like to say I can because we've been a bit leaky. I, th- I, I, like, I think 2-1. I think, that's, I think that's a decent shout. I think there's a chance they go ahead. Interesting. Um, no, negative. I, I don't think I, I don't think they're going to go ahead and and actually as as good as they are going forward I also think that their confidence is quite brittle I think City will score first and I think if City do score first then I think the game ends up being two or three nil to City I'm going to be bolshy and go three nil City. Um, Settle for that. Wow. Yeah. I would just about settle for that. <laughs> <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Um, right. Mr. Hawking, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for hosting. I really enjoyed it. Pleasure. Lloyd, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for hosting. To everybody who listened, thank you very much. If you're not a member of the 9320 player, jump over to the 9320 website. Have a look at what the 9320 player is. Loads and loads and loads of podcasts. Um, We're off to, yeah, just be generally unhappy at at our, our little lot in life. So be safe, be well, and as always, up the miserable blues.